You're listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Vicky Marinka, a podcast bringing you interesting conversations about careers in communications. Today I'm talking with Phil Shonshaw. Phil is a social media and digital engagement expert with several years of agency experience behind him. In this episode, we're talking about all things social media, particularly for leadership teams and CEOs. Hi, Phil. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Vicky. So I always start by asking a couple of questions, which just give you a chance to introduce yourself. So let's dive in. First of all, give me your elevator pitch and how you describe what you do to strangers. Okay, well, I'm a social media consultant for business leaders, brands, sales teams. And uh, what we do at Brightside is really try to uh, help people explain what they do and communicate better in a more human and meaningful way, uh, usually using social media. And tell me a potted history of your career and and some information about your current role and the kind of clients that you work with now. Yeah, I started in PR about 20 20 odd years ago now and kind of fell into the the tech sector, which is sort of what I stayed in. And it was really when I was at uh, CityGate, um, sort of in about sort of 2007, 2008, that I kind of got interested in this sort of social media space. And uh, a couple of agencies later at Harvard, I was um, responsible for growing that division, um, a, a digital and creative division. At the beginning of last year, decided uh, with my wife to set our own thing up. And that's what we do at, at Brightside, sort of working more face to face with people, usually over a video now, admittedly, and, um, you know, just doing more sort of hands on work. Can we start with the real basics? So there might be people listening who don't really see the point of social media. Why should leaders be on social media and who should they be communicating to and about what? Three questions, really. <laughs> Three questions in one. You, you might need to, <laughs> to keep me on track there. So let, let me just start at the beginning. The fact of the matter is that not many leaders are actually on social media at the moment. They don't, they're not really using it um, even when they are. So I'll, I'll perhaps come back to that one in a, in a moment. But the main thing is that social media, particularly during the pandemic, is increasing in use. We've seen the rise of social networks like TikTok taking off, social networks like LinkedIn for the professional network that, uh, world that I work in is just exploding. And people can't do so much face to face. And I think inherently there's a, a distrust that people have in institutions Brands aren't really sort of uh, delivering on the social media front. So there's this kind of friction point at the moment that, that, and, and a void that, that leaders really do need to fill. And they've got a very complex set of audiences, whether it's their employees, whether it's their customers, um, whether it's their state financial stakeholders. And um, there's loads of surveys from the likes of Brunswick and We Are Social that show that it really does matter to these audiences that leaders are on social media. They they respect those brands when they're when they're more present. It's more they're more accessible. They're able to be more human, and they can do a lot of the brand storytelling actually that sometimes a brand struggle to do themselves. And have you got any data on how many leaders are using social media and what channels they're using? Yeah, so um, there's, there's a few surveys out there in terms of usage. There was one done by uh, an agency network called Echo uh, last year, uh, which was reported on Homes Report. And they found that sort of over about 15 countries that there was only 15% of uh, leaders present on Twitter and 31% present on LinkedIn. Those numbers did seem a bit low to me, but it was a global survey. I've done research myself that shows that about 12% of leaders of top UK companies were on Twitter, about 75% were on LinkedIn, um, and that was based upon a UK survey. But what we found is that uh, only 25% of CEOs in the UK have posted anything on LinkedIn in the last 30 days. 
you know, that's quite surprising. So even though they, they might be on it, they're not actually publishing very much. Um, so, you know, an, an absence of, uh, of communication, which is a real shame and a missed opportunity. And, and in our industry, it's not much better, actually, in the, in the comms world. Um, you know, only about 26% of senior people in the advertising, PR and marketing worlds are actually posting on LinkedIn regularly. Why is the usage so low among leaders? Are they scared? Are they worried that they're going to get feedback they don't want? Well, I mean, we spend a lot of time working with with business leaders of uh, companies big and small. And the, the reason they give you is, I don't have time. I mean, that's what they say every, every single I don't have time for this. But actually, when you dig deeper, you find that a lot of it is actually about a lack of confidence. Um, they're worried that uh, because... You know, they know that people are looking at them, their, their peers, their staff, their customers, that they're, they're going to be either found out or that people just won't really like what they say. Um, I think there are a few that are also a bit risk averse. I saw a survey actually last year that PwC put out that showed that a lot of leaders were coming off social media or off digital channels, which I thought was uh, crazy at a time like this. Yeah, there's a lack of confidence and, and a worry about what, what happens if it goes wrong. I think the answer to that, actually, one of the answers I give is that uh, a lot of leaders are used to receiving media training and they're used to talking to the media and and, and many are quite comfortable with it. But they don't seem to think that it's actually you can go through the same process in social media. And actually, it's it's no more risky, uh, no more difficult. Um, In fact, it's probably a bit bit easier, to be honest, um, to use social media channels to communicate. And have you got any evidence to show the advantages to leaders of using social media? Yeah, I mean, we use a lot of analytics and uh, do a lot of work with the leaders, um, sort of anecdotally finding out you know, what happens when they start doing things themselves. And what we've noticed is that, you know, when they start the process off, they get extraordinary numbers of people engaging, you know, from, from their own teams. That's actually one of the, I've just come off a big project, actually. And that was the big surprise, how many people, it's a big company, 90, 96 odd thousand people that work there. We were working with a bunch of the senior vice presidents and, you know, they got a lot of traction. I'm not going to sort of give their statistics, but a lot of traction with with staff actually sharing the content and getting more engaged with it. And then when we work with teams, often say in sales, uh, you can see that the conversations they're striking up will often lead to opportunities down the line become wins in the business to business market. So, um, yeah, there's there's plenty of data sets that you can pull out that show that when, when they're active, People engage with them. They start conversations off that they wouldn't normally have. There's been some, also some research done by the likes of uh, the Brunswick study, uh, which has just come out, that shows that employees in particular uh, value their leaders that are uh, active on social media by, by a ratio of actually five to one. And there was also a survey that Hootsuite done, um, or it might have been Sprout Social, one of the two of them uh, done a couple of years ago that showed that 70% of consumers also valued leaders who are active on social media. So, um, you know, there's a correlation between what the audiences are are wanting and getting and also the data that we see when we're working with those people. So let's talk about some examples. Are are there any good examples in the public domain of um, a situation that a leader has handled very well via social media, perhaps a controversial situation that's happened? I think one of the um, examples of a leader that I, I see doing this uh, well regularly is Bernard Looney from uh, BP, the CEO of BP. And he's only been on social media for about a year. Um, he became CEO, uh, I think it was last January. And BP is a company that attracts quite a lot of disquiet and, and, and um, people challenging them on, you know, as, as a business uh, for, for obvious reasons. And um, you know, he's, he's dealt with that 
really well. You know, you look, he replies to a lot of the uh, commentary. And when it's negative, he'll he'll engage in the conversation. He, he does a lot of that using LinkedIn, which I think is also tends to be a politer environment. Um, so, you know, he's, he's an example of somebody that I think does that well. Another one that I pull out is James Watt, who's the CEO of BrewDog. So he's quite a colourful character. You know, he very much is himself on social media. He's a bit of a Marmite person that like him and, and don't like him, but he's a, he handles those situations really well. He posted a couple of articles recently about all of the all the mistakes he's made, um, LinkedIn articles during his career and what he's done about them. So he's kind of, you know, he, he deals with that sort of controversy really well. Now, this might sound like a bit of a naive question, but do you think someone like Bernard Looney is posting himself? Is he doing this work himself? Is he responding to tweets or has he got a team of people behind him doing this? Um, that's not a naive question at all. You know, I think it's a really good one because I, I, my impression is that a lot of the material he's creating, um, he's doing himself and he's answering himself. But there's no doubt that there, there is a team behind him. For a start, he puts up videos and I don't think he's shooting all of those videos himself. If the executive is closely involved in the content, then, then, it, then it can be authentic. Whereas if you look at the likes of Richard Branson or Ariana Huffington or, or those kind of really big players, their output is so putting out so much stuff that they couldn't possibly be doing all that themselves. And I think sometimes it kind of loses a bit of its uh, sheen of authenticity. I think there are probably two types of getting it wrong on social media for leaders. One is not being there at all and the other is misusing it or yeah. perhaps not reading the room. Have you got any examples of, of both of those? Example of somebody missing out and not not doing it when they're missing the opportunity, sort of thinking back to sort of the early stages of the pandemic. Uh, do you remember when a lot of the restaurant chains were, were sort of giving away food or giving discounts of food to uh, to sort of uh, key workers like, like nurses and doctors? Pret was one of those. And they put up loads of sort of big adverts and telling everybody about it. Social media ads, all the rest of it. Complete silence from the CEO. UK CEO, he's on. I, I, had, I checked him out on LinkedIn yesterday just to double check this, um, and he's. I don't think he's even got his picture on on his LinkedIn profile. So not only is he not using the opportunity and talking to people about what they're doing, he's just, you know, he's, he's not even there. Which I think, you know, given the size of the organisation and the turmoil that they they must be going through at the moment, a, an active and vocal CEO would would make a massive difference. Where where some of them get it wrong. If I'm honest, I think that it's rare these days to see CEOs get it wrong in the way that perhaps they used to. So you used to have situations like Jeff Bezos uh, years ago got himself into trouble uh, tweeting something about World Earth Day when he was um, out sledging or something like that. And at the time, Amazon was going through quite a lot of controversy. So he had loads of people attacking him. You've got those uh, people like um, Elon Musk or Travis Kalanick, um, the ex-Uber guy. These are usually colourful characters already who are doing things usually on Twitter and they get a bit of quite often a bit of flack for it. But they're people that are perhaps a little bit, I wouldn't say unstable, but they're, they're unpredictable. You know, they're the ones that are, tend to be getting themselves in trouble. And it's often on Twitter, which is quite a noisy, unpleasant place at times anyway. I don't see very often people making you know, horrendous mistakes on LinkedIn in particular. And these days, not even that often on, on Twitter. I think people and executives are more likely to get it wrong by making a bad media statement, which then kind of gets played out on social media. So actually the mistake is originally them saying something that they shouldn't have said uh, to the press. And then everybody piles in um, on, on social media afterwards. 
And that brings us neatly, I think, to Trump, who's the worst example of of using social media, depending on your perspective, (laughs) I suppose. But he's obviously been removed from all the main social media platforms. What are your thoughts on this in terms of, you know, the arguments for freedom of speech versus, in this case, incitement to violence and whether people should be deplatformed for this kind of behaviour? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because I think if you if you go back to when Trump first started um, tweeting, he kind of he gave Twitter a resurgence. I mean, he he put Twitter on the map. I think you know people were arguing about the relevance of Twitter just then, and then suddenly they had somebody that was saying these outrageous things, and you know people really really engaged with it and you know it drove people to use twitter more so i think you know you have to be the social networks have to be quite careful about how they um how they police these things and what they um what they allow people to do and not allow people to do and i know it's complicated i think in trump's case it came a bit too late they seem to have different rules to him and to everybody else which i think again puts them in a difficult situation they don't want to be seen as being news platforms so they want to kind of show that, well, we just provide the technology and it's up to people then to do what they want with it, which I think puts them in a difficult situation. Undoubtedly, there's going to be some um, some more antitrust cases that they're going to have to deal with. So they're going to be um, having to evolve how they police their, their platforms anyway. And I think sort of Trump going is actually a bit of a, a bit of a moment, actually a moment in time that's going to change fundamentally how social networks are going to work in the future. Can we talk about how content is evolving? So we've seen an increased use of video on professional platforms like LinkedIn and every man, woman and their dog have a podcast. Guilty. What are your forecasts for how social media will develop? Will it be audio, video or or something else? Before we we got together to talk talk today, um, we were talking briefly about Clubhouse and it seems that even in the last couple of weeks, Clubhouse is suddenly a lot more in people's consciousness um, and people are talking about the audio format. You have to also remember it's still very, very small. I think as of a few weeks ago, it only had a couple of million users, which is microscopic in social media terms. But I think there is a you know, a, a move towards other, other content formats and people like audio feels in the dead moments. You can have it playing almost like the radio in the background. I think one of the things I like about Clubhouse is the fact that once the call is finished, it's it's over. It's not recorded. You know, the moment is, is gone. What it's worth looking at is some of these uh, networks, when they're coming through with new features, how they impact how other, other, other networks develop and how other people use them. So if you look at something like TikTok, the way that people use TikTok is affecting the way that they use Instagram or LinkedIn or Twitter. You have those kind of pointy videos that people create on, on TikTok, which I find infuriating. But I've seen now people putting those out on, on LinkedIn as well. So it's quite interesting to see when something new comes in, how it, how it kind of affects the way that other platforms used yeah, we had the same thing with uh, stories a while ago with, with that, that they took off um, you know, Snapchat and now other people have developed stories like LinkedIn and Twitter. So it's all sort of interrelated. Audio is going to be a bigger thing. Video uh, will continue to be a bigger thing. Yeah, the idea of sort of more ephemeral content, content that just disappears once it's been published will definitely be a trend that people uh, look towards. One of the other growth areas is advocacy channels like Workplace, which is run by Facebook, and Slack, which we all, which we all know about, just being recently sold to Salesforce. Uh, Workplace by Facebook is the you know the, the most well known. Five million paid customers, but ma- but many more people are using it. And I think that from a leadership perspective, thinking about 
you know, how you're coming across to your own staff and the, the you know, the functionality of workplace is basically Facebook. Mm. So, but you can do things in a, you know, in a, in a much more controlled way because it's internal. And then you've also got Slack as well, which can also be used for internal comms, but can also be used for external comms as well. I don't think pe- many people realize that Slack is, um, there's lots of um, different industry groups on Slack. You know, you can apply to join them. So one that I'm involved in is uh, called tech.london. And basically, I mean, last time I looked, uh, there were about five and a half or 6,000 people on there. And they're all startup owners or freelancers. And it's really well moderated. And there's lots of good con- conversation, but because it, it's in, in its own kind of private, private-ish bubble, you don't see it in the wider world. So I think that's a, that's a definitely a trend. I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about Clubhouse because I think they've been really canny with their marketing. They've been, you know, they're making it feel exclusive. It hasn't officially launched yet. You can't just sign up. You have to be invited in. Yeah. Elon Musk was on it this week, apparently, and there were waiting rooms trying to get to to listen in on him. I've experimented with it a little. I think it's a totally mixed bag. I find the lack of structure quite frustrating which is why I like mm. a podcast because you know mm. what you're going to get whereas you join yeah. a room and you've got no idea what you're going to get what are your initial impressions of the content and the value uh, probably similar to yours um if, if I'm honest so uh I went on first of all and um it reminded me of turning up to somebody else's conference call you know <laughs> all these voices the conversation has already started it doesn't seem to have a beginning middle and end like like something like this does um, so you turn up and there's loads and loads of people talking over each other and you're kind of like, what have I, what have I turned up to? There is a variability, um, some of the better, better rooms, you know, where they're moderated well, where you're, you're interested in the content, where the people have clearly prepared. Um, I don't like the lack of preparation on Clubhouse, people kind of just bowling in and talking off the top of their heads. I prefer things that were sort of a bit more considered and well thought through, but, but that content does exist there. And as you said, that it really is very early days for Clubhouse. I think, you know, it's going to develop a lot. I think some of the functionality is a bit clunky uh, and that will improve over time. Little things like you you can uh, connect your Twitter and Instagram account, but you can't connect your LinkedIn account. So if you want to use it for professional purposes, it's not working on that side, but it's still an alpha product. As you said, they've been extremely canny about the way that they've um, put this together and marketed it. The Elon Musk thing uh, was definitely a moment for them. But even the fact that you can only get in by invite is classic uh, startup territory, but it's worked really well for them. It'd be good if they could get it out on Android. I think there's a lot of people that are are complaining about the fact that it's an iPhone only release at the moment. So do you recommend channels other than Twitter and LinkedIn generally to, to leadership teams? LinkedIn is the one that's, that's that's most common. Actually, with Twitter, I, if they're not already on it and active, I don't usually recommend it. I think it's really hard to go from a base level to becoming quite influential on it. I think you've really got to think it through and commit to it. So I think LinkedIn is the is, is a great starting point. I think Instagram can be can be useful for, for some leaders. Again, if they're prepared to put the time in or have, have a team to help them with the content. Bernard Looney's actually on, he, uh, Bernard Looney again, he's on Instagram. In a world where we start moving around a bit more and we're not doing everything in our own homes, I think you know those kind of uh, networks can be quite effective. So what advice would you give to leaders who want to get started, who really aren't au fait with social media? How do you start that conversation? Well, the, fir- the first thing is to not have a conversation about social media, but have a conversation about 
what they want to communicate and to whom so who are their audiences and what is them what's their what's their message to those audiences and what they want what do they want those people to do uh, once they find out about them you know one of the things that we do is uh, spend a lot of time creating a what we call a persona and point of view so we we create a proposition statement and you know write their you know a new bio for them and work out what their backstory is and what their key themes are and i think then what you've got a sort of a, you know what is essentially a messaging structure that you can use for them that becomes your blueprint and then you you start to sort of build up their trust with them and build their confidence up that this is something that's very structured and well thought through so then when you start getting into the okay let's make sure your profiles are set up properly and your your linkedin profile page is is, is correct and in that that becomes just really a process a fairly simple process and then we can either work with them on a sort of co-management side where we're helping to create a bit of content for them or train their teams or train them how to do it so I think you know the key point to start is just working out the story so have you got any top three tips for listeners who are using LinkedIn how to get the best out of LinkedIn in terms of top three tips for LinkedIn, let's try and keep it quite simple the first one I would say is to make sure that you're uh, engaging with people so even if you're not posting, if you do one thing, go onto LinkedIn and, and have conversations on other people's posts, because that's where you're getting the connection one-to-one with somebody. Uh, and you can, you know, increases your visibility because your network will also see that you're having those connections. And if you're doing that, uh, this is something that I see so many people miss off not doing is tag the person. So just her at, and then write the person's name. Other tips, uh, if you want to if you want to start posting things yourself, actually at the moment, text-based posts are working really well. So don't get hung up the fact that you need to create images or video or that kind of material. Text-based posts are performing really well uh, and just kind of make sure that you're, you're adding some value and saying something interesting. Uh, the other thing is just have a quick spring clean of your profile. So just make sure that you've got a nice image uh, like you have on yours and a nice banner at the top, a cover image. Uh, so... Uh, just make sure it's nice and clean to start with. Do you think that social media consultancy will just become part of the communications mix or will there always be a need for specialists like you? I think the social media consultancy um, has already become part of the the regular uh, integrated communications mix. So um, I think most agencies have it as a capability. Um, I think the concern is that it often gets put down to the entry-level executives and consultants so it doesn't often get senior input it's already integrated but it probably doesn't sort of get the priority that it should do okay so we're going to come on to our desert island discs questions now so um tell me what one campaign you want to be remembered for yeah this is I, i struggled with this one so I'm going to go with the silly suggestion. I had a silly and a sensible one. So I'll go with the silly one, which is the thing that I'm probably most well known for through my career is at the very start, I started a spoof sport called extreme ironing. Basically, it was the idea of taking your ironing board outside and doing it on the side of a mountain or or something like that in an extreme environment. And uh, we created a website. This was all pre-social media. We created a website and it kind of become an early viral meme, really. I remember um, Extreme Mining. I didn't realise you were behind it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was literally, as, you know, when I was, after being a student, I, I came up with the idea and came home and, uh, you know, had a pile of ironing and, and did it outside. And my flatmate asked what I was doing. And I said, I'm Extreme Mining. And then it's, we took it from there. And I just kind of had a life of its own, really, and took over my life for about three years 
Brilliant. Uh, but, uh, I still get asked about it. The interesting fact about extreme ironing is that it's, it's surprising to see how these things kind of resurface over time. So I've not done it in years, but every now and again, it'll be on Lad Bible or something and everyone starts talking about it again. Who from history would you most like to have had the opportunity to work with or do the communications for? I'm going to go for Bill Gates, uh, because if you look back early in his early days, he was an extremely awkward person in terms of his communications and clearly a genius um, and, and clearly he's found, you know, he's comfortable in his own skin now. But it would have been wonderful to work with somebody that was such a high performer just to try to make them come across in a slightly more human way. What advice would you give to someone just starting their comms career or looking for their first comms opportunity? First thing, just make sure that you have a presence on LinkedIn and you're active on it. It's like a CRM system, a customer relationship management system that updates itself. So when you start out in your career and you make the connections, you'll reap the benefits of that for years and years to come. Great. And what predictions have you got for the future of communications? In the world of social media, uh, the lens that I look at things, I think that people are sort of seems to be growing up. And I think that people are becoming, will will become uh, less obsessed with these kind of big numbers about big influencers that have got millions of followers. And I think people will realise that actually the quality of the conversation that they can have is better actually in small tribes. And you don't need to kind of worship at the altar of these big celebrities. So I hope it evolves in that way so it becomes this kind of more mature area to sort of work and, and, and do business. What's the most ridiculous or embarrassing thing you've done in the name of communications? Apart from owning up to extreme ironings, my boss <laughs> uh, at the time, who were this extremely posh couple um, who kind of looked down at their nose, looked down their noses at me. And um, it was only when I was on the uh, Libby Purvis show on Radio 4 that they realised that actually, oh, yes, this is quite a, quite a amusing uh, escapade. So that, that was quite embarrassing. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'll probably go with that, really, just the embarrassment of uh, coming out as an extreme ironist. <laughs> Is the website still going? No, the website isn't going. And you know what? That was one of my biggest mistakes. I um, let the um, domain name expire and somebody grabbed it and sat on it to charge me thousands of pounds for it. So Mm. uh, the website doesn't exist. But, you know, it exists in a variety of forms on Wikipedia pages and Facebook and that. So It was a moment in time. Yeah. Thanks so much, Phil. It was really interesting talking to you. Thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed chatting to you. You've been listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast. If you'd like to get hold of me, I'm on the usual social media channels with the handle the DSTM podcast, or you can email me at the DSTM podcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and colleagues, and don't forget to subscribe for more interesting conversations about careers and communications. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>